Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm Jason Kander. I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Uh, Welcome to our first virtual live, I think it's just live, I don't know, recording. Uh, I guess it's virtual because we've actually done events with humans in the same room with us before. We're so excited to have you all here with us tonight uh, to discuss and reflect Anyway, to, to possibly freak out, let's just cut to it. Uh, Ravi, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, me too. The, the key, they, they say the key to happiness is low expectations. No shit. That's where yeah. we are right now. And, uh, you know, uh, most indications are good. Obviously, there's there's some issues. Uh, there are some disappointing results. But there's, without question, there is no red wave right now unless we have some kind of unprecedented uh, bad run out west. But we've we've won some really key races, the Spamberger race, the Rhode Island congressional race, Hassan held on, Bennett held on, and you know, pretty quickly those races were called. So those are all really good news. Um, it even seems that Bobert might be in trouble in Colorado, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. That's like, by the way, the guy running, Adam Frisch, who I don't know, but I do know his wife a little bit. She's like a distant cousin of mine. So does that oh, mean really? him? So does that mean do I get to take some sort of distant credit? If that I don't think I, I think do, so. But yeah. it's exciting. But I was texting with her earlier, and she's like, "Yeah, I think we might pull this off." So that's pretty cool. Yeah, obviously there's some bad news. Franken lost in Iowa. Vance won in Ohio, which is hugely disappointing. Eric yeah, Lynn lost in in Florida. DeSantis dominated in Florida which is this whole separate conversation about the GOP politics after this. I, I've been texting with some people uh, in the sort of GOP circles, and there's a lot of conversations about, you know, pointing fingers at Trump for some of the candidate quality here. And DeSantis looks very strong from a GOP perspective after this. I think what we're going to see is Trump is going to announce for president pretty quickly after this. And I think he might have a, he'll still have his cult of personality, but I think there'll be a little bit of momentum in the DeSantis camp coming out of this, given how strong he held Florida. So I, I saw a poll the other day that had uh, that asked Republicans who had voted for Trump, you know, do you see yourself more as a as a Trump person or as a as a Republican? And you know, like in 2020, I think it was 54 percent or some, which is a funny number given our show, but it was, I think that's what it was. Um, we're saying that they were Trump first and and then, you know, Republican second. And that number last I saw was down to 30. Oh, wow. Um, so I, no, I totally think DeSantis 
could end up being the nominee. You know, huge news. Tom Cotton announced the other day that he wasn't going to run. So oh, okay. that obviously just earth shake, earth shaking. Yeah. Should we, we, we should have led the show with yeah. that. Should we do this? Should we redo this? Uh, well, to put a couple of historical, and by the way, Wes Moore won. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. Wes Moore, third black governor elected in the history of the country, which is. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, like, how is that even anyway? But uh, awesome. I mean, I we love Wes, and I mean, Maryland's going to do incredible things, and I and so is Wes. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, and I'll read you a couple of tweets. This is from Tim Alberta, who covers Republican politics uh, for Politico. I think he's written a bunch of really good books. Uh, he uh, tweeted a little while ago. This is not a red tsunami. In fact, it might be shaping up as the best midterm cycle for an incumbent president's party since the rally around the flag election of 2002. This stuff makes me nervous saying that. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just, look, I'm, it's their words. Um, Nate Cohn uh, at 1025, we're, we're recording this at 11 for folks who listen to the podcast in the morning. Um, Democratic chances of winning the House have slowly started to tick up, now up to 29% from 21% at the start. They're favored to win 208 seats, up from 203 in all poll-based starting estimates. Uh, obviously, we could go 0 for 4 in these key Senate races coming up, right? Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, Arizona, Nevada. There's some, there's some frightening Nevada numbers that John Ralston, yeah. uh, I talked to him earlier this week and he was a little bit more bullish, but I think in out in Nevada, he's like a big Nevada observer. He was showing that there's some really tough turnout numbers out there. But on the flip side, the Fetterman numbers that we know as of this recording look really good. Nate Cohn from the New York Times uh, tweeted out uh, just a couple of minutes ago that Fetterman's outrunning Biden just about everywhere in Pennsylvania. Our estimate now leans Democratic. Now, one thing to be careful with when that happens is you can outrun Biden uh, in your districts, but if there's a red, if there's a rural avalanche of turnout and your turnout isn't great, right? Like you can outrun Biden in the percentage of votes, but still your turnout doesn't equal the rural right. turnout. That can happen for sure. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that just quite yet. Uh, there are some Arizona numbers that look good right now that came out, but Arizona is what they call a blue mirage state, which is they I think they released the absentee balloting first. So I think it overestimates Democratic votes at first, from what I understand. So we don't have much to say about that yet. But at least there's we're we're in the game for the Senate right now. As of this moment, we're in the game. It looks like Walker and Warnock are in a dead heat right now, and I can't make heads or tails of what's going on over there. We're in the game for the Senate. The other thing is we're in the game for some of the most important gubernatorial races, right? So um, Arizona, I mean, basically, it's obviously, it's the it's the states where we think are going to be the most consequential in two years in a presidential election. And, and you know, it's so messed up, man. The most consequential, not in like how people vote, but in like how like whether the vote matters yeah <laughs> you know like so um you know, like you said it's it's early in arizona but hobbs is ahead um unfortunately in in georgia uh does not look like our friend stacy is going to win yeah um which sucks um but you know you know i was thinking just a sidebar here i was thinking about this today i was thinking about stacy and i was thinking about beto for instance and you know it's really our country is the only one that has this thing where if you run a couple of times and you lose, we're su- you're supposedly sidelined. Because when you think about countries like, I don't know, the UK, where there's just like an opposition party and there's like a shadow cabinet, like it's not like, oh, well, that person ran for prime minister. That person ran for that. Like they're done. No, it's like 
when party control switch switches back and forth, we know who controls that party. It's much more like, you know, Nancy Pelosi becoming speaker after that right. we took the house or, you know, um, so it's just a peculiar American thing. Uh, 83% of the vote is in, in Kansas. Uh, now I'm not saying this is a pivotal race in 24, but like it's, it's someone who <laughs> was born in Kansas and I can almost throw a rock at it, uh, from my house. Uh, it's just continually crazy to me that like the Democrat is still leading by four points, uh, in Kansas. So th- those things are all good. Uh, Whitmer's going to win in Michigan. I think, uh, it looks that way. And then yeah. you've got um, uh, Wisconsin, where Evers is in the really close race. So, uh, oh, and then Shapiro winning in Pennsylvania means you're because he appoints the Secretary of State. You're going to have a Democratic Secretary of State in Pennsylvania. So, yeah, I think our candidate won in Colorado as well. Our Secretary of State candidate out there. So, uh, yeah, that's good news. Jana Griswold. Yep. So all in all, so far so good. Or like so far as good. Yeah. As we could hope for. Yeah, Luria. In um, Virginia lost. So we won Spanberger, but we lost another important race there in Virginia. Um, But it looks like we've come out ahead, all things considered, in Virginia compared to what the estimates were saying. Uh, It looks like Hochul in New York is looking pretty solid to win. I was, I just actually, her victory party is right next to our building. So I just hopped over there just to, to, I I miss campaign life. So I just walked over there. And then I- I just miss like ele- like the night of the elections when when you're feeling good, not when yeah, you're feeling yeah. bad. But I was feeling good as the <laughs> results coming in. I'm so, so happy to be home at yeah. my house right now. Like it's, I just different... walk. It, it, one of the great things about New York and where I live is I, I was able to walk down the street two blocks and they had the the uh, Hochul party and I was like seeing all these Democratic operatives I hadn't seen forever. And then on my way home, I ran into it was like a little bar. It was an assembly candidate uh, celebrating her victory and i ran into a whole bunch of other activists (laughs) and i was just like wow uh this is great like i hadn't had this energy in a while uh it almost makes me miss campaigning but i am not quite there Uh, yet because it's the only night like that of the campaign no i get it i get it Uh, i'm trying to think i don't think there's a there's sometimes by the way by the way it's not a lot side note I, I know that football had to show up in here, but this is actually about <laughs> elections. I was in the parking lot of uh, the MetLife Stadium with my father uh, waiting for my family to arrive for this, the game that we went to all watch over the weekend. And he says to me, hey, Zeldin is doing really well in New York. Maybe I have a chance. I was like, <laughs> that's right. Okay, for, like, those yeah. not, for those not <laughs> not aware, you have to update them on yeah. the backstory of that. My father... I had thought was, uh, you know, back in the spring, I, I updated our audience. He was he was on the ballot for state senator as a Republican uh, in Manhattan. If you're new to the show, my dad is like a Trump Republican. I thought he just didn't get on the ballot because he's been in Europe. He's been in Miami. He went to the game. Taking it really seriously. He, he went to the game with me on the Sunday before Election Day. Uh, well, first of all. That's nice that you yeah. and your dad have been hanging out. I'm yeah, we were hanging out. That. Yeah, yeah. My brother was there too for our listeners who've been following that story. But uh, so the my dad's like, yeah, I think I have a shot. And I said to him, I was like, you don't have a shot. He lost, obviously. He's a Republican running a man. Mm-hmm. I was like, not only do you not have a chance, but I was like, if you did, this would be even crazier. Why are you here then? Like, this is <laughs> like, it's really crazy. It's like delusional. But uh, yeah, it's my one family story. 
Yeah, uh, and he was that's running hilarious. against somebody I know. I didn't even check. It's how little this even registered yeah, well, for me. I hadn't even looked at it. But uh, yeah, so the Gupta family political run is over. So your your family member, your distant relative, won tonight. My my very direct well, relative hopefully. lost we'll see. tonight. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, here's another race that's under the radar that is, I think, very important, which is the Secretary of State's race uh, in Arizona. Um, where our friend Adrian Fontes, who has been on the show once, maybe twice, um, former Maricopa County recorder uh, who lost his reelect uh, in 2020, is the Secretary of State candidate for the Dems. He is up 59-41 nice. with 47% in, which to compare that to Katie Hobbs is up f- about 57-43. So um, he is actually outpacing her by two points. Um, which is so secretary of state in Arizona, obviously is going to be a huge deal Yeah, in two years. So I hope they all win. I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, if we can, well, yeah. if we can, if we can get all of those in Arizona, but that's the one we got to be careful about that state again, because mm-hmm, of the way that they, sure. they report those numbers, it could, it could flip. Yeah. And so I think like, and for keeping score, we need to win three out of the four in order to keep the Senate. So we need to win three out of the four of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona unless we do an upset in Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. we've got to win. Yeah, I think if the Fetterman numbers continue to look good, Kelly so far looks decent. But again, those numbers are tough. We would just need one of the next two. So, Okay. Yeah. Um, what's in, in not great news, uh, as I think we mentioned, um, J.D. Vance beat Tim Ryan in Ohio. Uh, and Grassley uh, was Grassley won in Iowa. Um, a listener asked, uh, you know, they said Vance beat Ryan in Ohio, despite a great campaign from Ryan. Uh, is Ohio a lost cause? I'm not sure. What do you think? I, I mean, first of all, what's I, a lost cause? But I think if if this race were held in August, Ryan wins this race. So I think we're we were close, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and. I think the way we look at this is uh, the way, you know, if the, if the, if the divisional game ended with 13 seconds left, the bills would uh, probably win the Super Bowl, <laughs> which, you know, uh, we took as an opportunity to prepare in the off season. And that's what I think we should do looking at Ohio. Like, I think, I think the Ryan race gives us a lot to work with in terms of the way he ran, the energy he brought, the message he brought, the person he was, the connection he had to that state, the fact that he was a, he was a heads down local candidate where he didn't really lean into any national celebrity. I think this, these are all things that are really important. And he had a populist message and took it head on against a venture capitalist fraud and almost won a state like, and way outperformed. Like it reminds me a lot of your race. Like when you ran, Mm -hmm. like he way outperformed. Uh, any conceivable national democratic number in the gubernatorial campaign. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, um, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that generally when uh, when you're going to outperform, uh, it's usually not going to be in a Senate race. It's usually going to be in a gubernatorial race, right? Because people just tend to vote in a more parliamentary way for the Senate because they just go, well, which party do I want? Whereas with governor, they're aware that the governor has to do shit, right? right? And so, so like, you know, yes, I think Ryan really outperformed. So on the one hand, you know, it kind of makes you go like, uh, 
yeah, it could that be the high water mark? That's the concern, right? Yeah. Because like like if you compare it to my race um, in Missouri, people run every year. I mean, that Senate race is already not every year, but people run every cycle, and they they talk about our race. That Senate race has already been called tonight. Eric Schmidt's going to be the senator from my state, and uh, what happens is, is people run and they say, well, you know, Jason Kander got whatever we got, 46, 47, I don't remember what it was. And they say, so, and they act like, well, we're going to build on that. And a lot of smart people point out that's been the high watermark. That's not the point you build from. So I don't, you know, look, Ohio's not a lost cause. Ohio's pretty red. Uh, yeah. If we're being real. It's interesting. Florida and Ohio, two states that we you know we were watching perennially for these races they're they're both pretty tough for us you know florida mm -hmm. florida is going to be a long way for us to to build back you know we're losing miami dade county today for the first time yeah so i think this is if, for the presidential campaign in 24 to me this is how about we not throw gazillions of dollars at this massive state that's not going to go our way yeah um, yeah, we got it. I know. think I think we got to look to the states that are now on the board that that didn't used to be on the board. Mm -hmm. We got to look to Arizona. We got to look to Georgia, North Carolina, winnable. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, these are sure. all these are all winnable states. If and, you want a long term play, it's Texas. Yeah, Texas is one of those states where I'm like, man, I I'm worried that we we'll just keep throwing stuff at it and we don't ever get there. But yeah, but it's know, a long term play. And the yeah. problem is, is that in the past, I think that everybody thought. Oh, well, you know, the Hispanic vote, that's why Texas, no, that doesn't have to be why Texas is in play. Texas can be in play because people are moving to Texas because Texas is not getting older at the same pace that a lot of states like mine are, right? Right. Um, you know, Austin is growing, you know, look at the, I mean, so with, with all of, you know, really I see Texas could become uh, a lot like the way North Carolina is like North Carolina got a huge influx of people not from North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and Texas is starting to do that. And so that, I mean, that's why I think there's potential there. Yeah. This is why I'm extremely interested in the Nevada results, because that's a state that, although I don't say we count on it, it's it's usually it's usually got to be pretty solidly D for us to have a good night in a presidential year, and it's a state that's population has changed pretty tremendously. Mm -hmm. uh, I I was looking at some numbers. It just shifts a lot. There are a lot of people who moved there, and there is a bit of a there's a there is a theory out there that there's uh they I call like I call them fiscal refugees from California. Like the people who moved to Austin are also moved to to Nevada because they don't have taxes, and you know the kind of person who moves to a state to avoid right. that couple percentage state tax is maybe not a Democratic voter. So we'll keep an eye on on what that looks like there, um, because I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, who knows? Because there's so much. We're comparing these numbers to 2018 numbers often, right? And what was different now. Then 2018 is we had a pandemic in the middle and more people vote early 2020, than before. Mean. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, 2018. No, no, no. Oh, what's yeah. different? You're saying yeah. what's different since 2018? Yeah, since yeah, 2018. more early vote. Yes. Yeah, people learn to vote differently because we can't compare it to 2020 because it's just a right. presidential. So they're comparing it all to a year where the voting behavior was way, way, way different. Yeah, well, and like the motivation was totally different. I mean, yeah. Trump was president. Right.
Um, so yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was kind of reversed, but, um, you know, another, uh, another bright spot, by the way, is Sharice Davids, uh, Congresswoman from the Kansas third, who, I mean, that's my parents district, but it's not why I bring it up. I bring it up because one, Sharice is pretty cool. And two, uh, they, the Republicans really thought they were going to get that district this time. I oh, mean, really? Oh you know, yeah. Like they've, they've been going after it for a while. It's a, it's a, a suburban district. They really, I mean, they, they gerrymandered the hell out of it. And she was, I mean, marked for, for dead in this race. Um, and she's won relatively comfortably. Um, so I think that that's interesting. It says something about the suburbs in the middle of the country, potentially. I mean, you know, Sharice is, uh, you know, a woman of color and she's gay and, you know, like they were like, yeah, she's going down <laughs> and not happening. So she's done a great job. Well, I'm going to make sense of this. You may know this district cause you know, Kansas way better than I do, but there's, there's this tweet coming across my feed that says in a stunning upset, Jason Probst, Democrat of the Kansas house district 102 has apparently won reelection to his Trump plus 15 state house seat. In Hutchinson. No, I don't know anything about Jason Probst, but I've been to Hutchinson and it is a stunning upset. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, uh, just, Laura Kelly yeah. leads. That was at 40 minutes ago. Laura Kelly was, was leading Schmidt in the Kansas governor's race. I, that was the most recent number I got on that. Um, um, oh, also, last I saw, we should look again. Last I saw, and this is important, just for spite and a little bit for other things, but mostly for spite, uh, is that Chris Kobach was at least a minute ago was trailing for attorney general. He's okay. still running for things by the way. Um, so. yeah. And who knows We're you know, we're not Nate Cohn, so we don't, we don't know what, what, what precincts are reporting or not, but that's the, that's the beauty of the live show the night of the election. There's, we could, yeah. be, we could be wrong about so many things and, and get away with it. <laughs> so that's I, right. So I think, and just to give our listeners a sense of, of what comes next, we're we're recording this tonight. It'll hit our feed in the morning, and we have a very special guest tomorrow for our podcast. Should we say who it is, Jason? Yeah, sure. Al Franken. Hey, Al Franken, uh, not not Admiral Franken. Yeah, at least he's he hasn't yeah. been promoted yet, but he's <laughs> uh, he'll be on tomorrow. We booked him thinking he would bring some levity to a tough day, but maybe he'll bring some levity to a less than tough day than we're expecting. That, that, that yeah. could be fun. All right. Um, are there any more specific ones we should go through before we kind of talk about the overall here? I think that's all I got. Okay. Well, um, Grace has been trying to get us to talk about Florida. And so before I go into any of that, I just got a separate text from Grace that says, dudes, talk about florida i thought we did (laughs) talk about florida i thought we did too yeah but but, okay i think what she means is like you referenced that miami dade uh i mean that that's a big deal yeah we we didn't win i mean that so i don't have an answer honestly i i do have carlos corbello in my office tomorrow who was the uh, gop congressman from miami dade so I'll be talking to him in the morning. So I'll have more to say, I guess is the point. And he's he knows more than anybody who's a non-Trump Republican. He hosts a podcast for us at Lost Debate. So he, you know, it's great that we have him on our team. I'll ask him. He'll know. I think what he has been saying, we have a Spanish language podcast with him, uh, which seems more important than ever, where he has uh, somebody more left-leaning as his uh, co-host. And 
part of what our mission is to fight misinformation, which seems like a lot of people are saying there was a lot of misinformation kicking around in Florida within the Spanish language community. That'll definitely be one. But one big thing he talks about, which we've talked about in this podcast before, is that uh, especially in Florida, but everywhere, the Hispanic, uh, so-called Hispanic community really is not one community. It's many, many, many different communities. And with, you know, a lot of preferences that can go either way. There are fiscal conservatives, there are social conservatives, et cetera. And um, there's also a, a very popular mayor in Miami. Uh, it's like a weird system where there's like the mayor of Miami and then there's the county and everything is tricky, but there's a popular Republican mayor there. Uh, I think DeSantis has, I think the hurricane improved the standing of DeSantis, like his handling of it. And I think that uh, came at like, an opportune time for him in that race. And so, and I think he's definitely played culture war politics to his advantage. And I think Democrats don't, I don't think they take seriously the effectiveness enough. I mean, obviously there's some who do, but they don't take seriously enough the effectiveness of the culture war politics on communities of color. It's not just about white voters. I think people think of it as like ra just racist dog whistles, but there's way more than that. There are many dog whistles uh, beyond the racist <laughs> ones. And sometimes racist dog whistles work with people of color too. You know, things are complicated. And so, but I'll ask him and, and, and get more from him and, and maybe I'll get some snippets for an interview that we can I can share with you guys either tomorrow or the next day. He'll be in the studio as I'm as we're recording with Frank. So- Maybe I can pull him in and ask him some questions. I also think that, you know, we, we have to be more realistic about Florida, like in general. Like, you know, in the 90s, uh, Florida was was up for grabs at the times because it was so heavily uh, old. And that used to, old, old folks used to mostly vote for Democrats. They used to vote on issues like Social Security and Medicare and things like that. And I don't know if you've looked around, but old people are kind of, I don't know, grouchy. And that tends to go more, you know, like they're not voting that way anymore. Like <laughs> old the, people are grouchy. This is our old best people thing. Are, like they're grouchier than they used to be. Like they're, they're grouchier than it. I mean, it's particularly when they're old and white and they're like, ah, it used to be this way. And like the fucking make America great again this was tailor made the, for old people. This is the number one piece of evidence. I know that you have no plans to run for Senate ever again. Like there's one people you don't fuck with when you're running for office or old people. Yeah. And, and especially in Missouri, old white people people man yeah well look right. That's old it. people it takes a long time for old people to consider themselves old but yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and but my point is like i think that's one of the big things that's changed yeah. like the older people in this country are not reliably voting for the party that uh make sure that old people have the shit that they need the way that they used to they tend to be voting much more on the idea of like shit was better when i was young and what's with all these people who don't look like me getting power and that, I think, is a big part of it. And Florida's, like, we've always treated it like it's not, you know, in the South. I mean, like, a huge part of it is a rural Southern state. Um, so well, we, we, I don't think it's that surprising. I, You know, in the, in the 90s, for a while, Republicans still thought they were going to get California because they had had Reagan and all that stuff. And I right. think we're treating Florida the way they used to treat California, which is you, you got to let it go. Not yeah, like I, I sometimes wonder whether Texas. I sometimes wonder whether Texas is that for us, but I hope I'm wrong. It, it might that. be Texas yeah. might be 
fool's yeah. gold. I'm just saying we yeah. can't try both. It, in a weird way, Texas feels like what California was for the Republicans because it's a state Democrats used to dominate in the way that Republicans mm-hmm. used to dominate right. California, which I find fascinating. But uh, at the state level, there are state legislatures that are getting more extreme candidates on races that we're not even watching. And the fiscal environment is ter- is going to turn on these states. A lot of them were getting pandemic stimulus, and they were able to you know, talk a big talk about limited government while getting the, the largesse that was sent their ways, and also riding the sort of coattails of boom times and surpluses in their budgets. And if this recession continues, and we also know for sure they're not going to get more stimulus, especially because the Republicans are taking the House, but I don't think even in an environment where Democrats had it, they were going to get it. I think there are going to be some hard choices, and you know better than anybody what's happened to Kansas. You know, yeah. why, why are we even talking about a Democrat who could possibly win Kansas? Because Brownback screwed up that state so bad. And so I That's, think this is we're going to start right. seeing these dynamics in some of the states. You're basically saying that the best thing that can happen for Democrats, sadly, seems to be when Republicans get to make the decisions. Yeah, at least it's some uh, of these states. And I don't, you know, look, yeah. I've got my issues in Kansas. Like I've got, I've been making strides with the bakers out there since the last time I talked <laughs> about it. So I'm not saying I want you to have bad government in Kansas. I, I want you to have the best government you possibly can have. I'm saying that- I, I, I yeah, got what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying people tend to find out yeah, that these who, people who, who don't like government aren't good at running it, but yeah. they got to be in charge for them to figure it out. Um, so- uh, I got a text from our producer. Okay, that wait. Says, oh, yeah. Vance looks like a likely win, the New York Times is saying. Whoa. I mean, sorry, not Vance. Uh, um, Fetterman. Fetterman. Yeah. Whoa. That's a big deal. Okay. That's really cool. Dr. Oz will have to go back to selling whatever wow. drinkable urine or whatever that was. Wow, that's huge. All right. Well, let's pretend that that's actually true because I think vo- like our listeners will forgive us if we're wrong about that because that's just what the information yeah, that's a says. Huge, that's a huge yeah. relief. So that's one that's out of the- That's big. That's one out of the three of the four that we need. Can we pause and talk about the fact that Fetterman had a stroke in the spring <laughs> and and we did it? Like, good job to that you know, team. I mean, yeah, like that's, you, you know, I don't really think you can point to a better example of how this was not the election the Republicans were thinking they were going to get and that all of us were thinking was going to happen several months ago when that, I mean, Fetterman had a stroke. Like he, he, he had a debate where he had to have captions. I mean, like nothing wrong with that, but like it wouldn't be your first choice in campaign strategy. Like if you had a choice, so that's huge. We just need two more. If this is true, we just need either one, two of Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia's two out of three of those. And, and if Wisconsin somehow is better than people were projecting, that obviously adds something to the mix. Wow. Good job, Fetterman, for fighting through that. Good job, his campaign. No shit. Uh, good job to the people of Pennsylvania, if that holds. That good is job, huge. Oz, being like, uh, yeah. you know, really uh, cringy. Way to go, Oz. That and that a is a help. true pickup. I think that's our first true pickup of the night, yeah. right? In terms that's, of the that's a good point. Yeah. Yep, that's that a is true. a pickup. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a big deal. All right, well, that brings me to how I was going to just try and 
cheer anybody up who needs cheering up. I was just going to say, I mean, I think you and I went into this thinking we were going to have to do a lot of cheering people up. That's for um, sure. And I just would like to say that I would like to remind people that this is an election where we hold the White House traditionally very, very bad uh, for the for your chances in the midterms. And we hold the Senate by none. <laughs> like, I mean, it's tied and we get the, the, the only reason we hold it is the vice president. And like we're sitting here at uh, eleven thirty-five Eastern, ten thirty-five Central, going like, okay, need a couple more wins, and we hold the Senate. Like that's not something I thought was going to. I mean, I remember we've talked about this over the last year, where at times we were like, okay, well, we got to do everything we can now because we're going to lose the Senate in twenty twenty-two. Like we were saying that a year ago. Yeah, uh, we m- might have been wrong. Yeah, I mean. This could be, Jason, the first time I can remember that the polls were underrepresenting Democrats. Mm -hmm. Why would that happen? Young Uh, people. uh, You know what? No, I'll tell you why, actually. Let's not assume that the the polls were totally on the up and up. You know, you've employed pollsters, I think. Uh, I I have. Uh, I will tell you. The way a poll is weighted is everything, right? So everybody's always trying to compare. That's what 538 figured out a long time ago, is that comparing one poll to another and like saying, oh, he was up or she was up by four, but this poll hasn't done, it makes no sense. You have to look at the weighting of the poll. And I'm telling you that I, I would bet you my paycheck that a lot of the reason that Democrats may have been underrepresented in these polls is because if they were overrepresented last time, pollsters don't want to make the same mistake twice because they're going to lose business if they do. And so they would have just waited the polls to have a a higher turnout of Republicans than maybe even they really thought because they were trying to be safe. And then that's how you get polls that underrepresent um, Democrats. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I don't blame them because they got caught with their pants down so many times. It's like it's a super hard thing to do. Right. And who answers their phones? It's like, I don't (laughs) even know how you do that. Like, honestly, I'm 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 always amazed that they even try. Like, how would they get in touch with us? Like anybody in your life. Do you know anybody who picks up? First of all, anybody with a landline? I don't know anybody. But like, uh, but anybody who picks up their cell phone when there's a number they don't recognize. Yeah, yeah, we all screen our calls. Never. I, I, uh, it's why when I was running, it's why I liked focus groups so much more, particularly focus groups where you can stick with the same people, because that's how you get a sense for which messages are really moving, because you can see whether they moved the person who wasn't moved by the last message. Um, and so I think those are much, and those are rarely seen by the public. I'd be much more interested. You know, I don't enjoy watching the focus groups that are like, let's get a bunch of batshit crazy people together and watch them like we're driving by a car accident. And then let's listen to them. You know, that's what they put on cable news. Like, watch while this person tells us that birds aren't real. Um, But I do think it's valuable if you can have an actual focus group. The problem is like, who would do that anymore? Like, who would be like, I'll go in and be publicly have my face in a focus group so that Twitter can make me into a terrible person. Uh, anyway, I got but, uh, I have more good news, by the way, if you want. Oh, more. good. Lay it on. Uh, Democrat Greg Landsman in Ohio has been elected to Congress. This is a flip. The seat was previously held by Republicans. Uh, that's yeah. that's as of five minutes ago. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know anything about whatever that race is, but a flip sounds nice to me. 
we, we should talk about election integrity here real quick. But before we do that, I do kind of want to check back and see if uh, my my very good friend, my distant cousin, who I don't really know, uh, is uh, winning still in Colorado against Lauren Boebert. Uh, so let's see. Can we? Yeah, let's take a look. This is what live podcasting is all about. Yeah, Lauren Lauren Underwood still up, by the way. Oh, Friend good. Both of ours. Arena yeah, by, by a couple. Yeah, our arena candidates um, have done decently well. Although Max lost in Staten Island pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, uh, while you look that up, election integrity. Um, I think it's really troubling that in an election where the Republicans thought that they were, you know, they think they're going to win more than they lose. And they, and they were feeling pretty confident and starting to feel like maybe they were going to win big, that they were still out there campaigning against the idea that our elections work. That scares me for two reasons. One, it is clearly a, let's just continue to destroy confidence in the election process because it will redound to our benefit in 2024, like a long play, big lie. That's scary. But the other reason it scares me is that that means this is just becoming a like a a, a built-in point, like a built-in value set for Republicans. They're just like elections don't work. Uh, even like when they think it's going to go their way, they're just like to just say it like out of reflex. Like that's really scary to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm anxiously watching Arizona with the Carrie Lake campaign because there's nobody who's just more just fully embraced this right just it like she's been running the whole time on the idea that like you know that that none of these elections like that none of them are legit yeah i have a i have a friend who works for uh i won't say which show but a, a tv show where she has to travel around and and covers like rallies and things like that and she was saying like these rallies are more so even than 2020 are like full on fascist rallies where like, how do we lock up our political enemies? There's no pretense of democracy anymore. And so that fight continues. Like the one, the one downside to not having like a super disappointing night is that whenever these disappointing nights happen, sometimes we have that energy, like when you and I met at arena where Mm -hmm. we're like, man, everything we need to we need to just tear everything down and build it back up again. And there's a camaraderie and a sense of urgency and all of that. We have to be careful that if 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 a decent night comes, that we don't just take it for granted. Because, right, you know, th- this is not the kind of thing that, as we know, we, like anytime anything good happens, like we have to we have to build on it. Or you know, the, the Republicans, they're like Mike Myers, man. They just <laughs> they're back for. They just you can't kill it, you know. Like you can't kill him. And not not Wayne's World, Mike Myers. Yeah, not Mike Myers, the, the ski mask guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Frisch has an eight thousand vote lead, almost eight thousand votes, with seventy one percent of the vote in. But New York Times thing is saying it's likely R. So I don't know. Oh, that okay. must mean there's some Republican votes coming. But well, whether see. he wins or loses, uh, we should remember that it's unlikely the house is going to pivot on that race. That's more of just a schadenfreude sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice. Yeah. And it's like nobody at the, I mean, that's the kind of night it is really like, I think that sums it up is that nobody at the beginning of the night was thinking, you know, who might lose is, is Lauren Boebert. 
yeah. or Bo Bear. I don't know how to say it. Um, and yeah. uh, I like Bo Bear. But I think she's Bo Bear. Lauren Bo Bear. Nobody thought that she was had any shot of losing at the beginning of the night. And you can't have a race where like Marjorie Taylor Greene's best buddy in Congress is like a toss up, you know, at the yeah. end of the night and go like, oh, well, this was a red wave. Like, yeah. so I guess my my takeaway from all this at this point is I don't know whether we're going to hold this in. I don't know any of that stuff. But. I was worried that it was going to be one of those nights where it's like, oh, democracy's over. Like right. like a resounding, and that's not what it is. Like no matter how this ends, it's like we're in the fight. Uh, we will talk to everybody tomorrow. Again, we're going to have Al Franken on. Uh, and uh, so no matter how you're feeling tomorrow, that's probably going to be something that, I mean, you're going to laugh. Uh, and also like you know al's super smart he's gonna have great analysis of all this stuff so so that'll be fun uh remember we all have a platform make sure to use yours today hi listeners it's robbie with a question for you what if instead of being on the brink of disaster we're on the cusp of a better world for that answer i recommend listening to the what could go right podcast Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.